Good evening and welcome along to the latest edition of the Endless Celts podcast. I don't know what I've done to deserve this. Stuck with two Anthony's. I seem to get stuck with two Rosses when Ross McCall comes on. It's <laughs> so I'll try and Anthony up the top here. I'll try and call you Tony and I'll call the other Anthony Anthony. But we'll see how that goes. Um but I welcome along everybody who who's watching and stuff. And uh, anyway, how are you used to anyway? Raging. <laughs> <laughs> Not like I'm in and I say I'm, I'm all good last being a nice weekend, but no, no. Oh. Just no. I miss Friday night, so I've got all the transfer stuff still painted up. <laughs> still bubbling away under the surface. Oh, uh, I'm sure we'll get it. I, I'm, I, listen, goes without saying, frustrated with the, with the result, Franny, but I ended up having quite a good day out with the work on Saturday night. So it's a kind of mixture of emotions, but certainly on the football front, frustrated. Aye, aye frustrated. And it's, I think even the group chat, everybody was in terrible, terrible moods. And I don't think anybody was helping each other because everybody it was almost like it was a competition who could be the most annoyed after Saturday. It just did not help anybody, I don't think, in the group chat. But before we kind of get into everything, I'll just bring up uh, a wee updated Super 6 table. Alistair Jack still out there in front. Kieran Gahuli, well, I'm assuming it's Gahuli, I don't actually know his second name there. In second place, Mark Robertson, Stephen Coulter, Joe Finlay, Anthony Dunn, you're still up there, mate. You're still up there. Ryan Taylor, Kevin Hampsey, Marcel just clinging in at the, t- in the top 10, and as you in Cheshire, uh, Cheshire, I think that'll be it in 10. So, anyway, let, let's get in. I'll just welcome everybody along. Is this Robert Davey? Um, Jed's there. Hope he's cheered up. He's, he said he was still raging earlier. Uh, but anyway, we'll, we'll just come to yourself first, Anthony. Just a wee, a wee recap of the, the fixture and stuff and just a brief brief overview of the game and then we'll kind of get into the, the bones yet. You probably should go to the other one for this because uh, <laughs> I, I, um, I spent most of my day working driving in the van where you're on the radio. So in and out of the van, you kept hearing little bits. And the first half seemed to go quite well. I've seen the highlights, obviously. We had some good opportunities. Um, first half seemed... The usual kind of Brendan Rodgers kind of style of football, a lot of possession, a lot of pass stats, and generally, you know, waiting for that first goal and hopefully the, the floodgates may open. But the start of the second half, seeing the seeing Morovsky kind of turning the rocky the wrong side around, he couldn't get his foot right at all before he, he, he put in a challenge that would have given away a penalty, to be fair, if he didn't put the ball in the back of the net eventually. It wasn't good viewing it wasn't good listening um yeah the, we all know why don't we <laughs> uh it, it wasn't a great anthony um i mean I, like like anthony said there it was a it was a it was a good first half i i felt we, we performed well we were, we were probably a wee bit unlucky bernardo i thought Chris Sutton was a wee bit harsh on bernardo i think but he had a good chance that he hit the bar um, Palmer should probably stick his chance away, I'll say that much, but I think he's just gone to the second half, but just yourself, Anthony, just a wee, wee brief brief overview of the game, and I can see I've already no called you Tony. Called- <laughs> I didn't worry about it, mate, I knew, you were, <laughs> I knew what you meant. No, um, well, actually, funny enough, similar to Anthony, because through no fault of my own, because of the chaos on the rail um, on Saturday, um, I missed, I was, as I say, getting into Glasgow, and my whole the whole plan was 
um, through early doors down to Gracie's um, for kickoff, but we got caught with, the, with all the delays. So I never actually got in until the until the second half had started. But I was kind of you know trying my best to, to keep on top of it. I've obviously watched the highlights back as well, and I agree that it's first half. You look like you've you know you've made enough chances there to to win a game outright. You know in the first forty five alone. I do agree. I think, I mean, don't be wrong, love big certain to bits and a lot of the times it's it's very amusing when he, you know, he has Chris Boyd on the ropes um, on a weekly basis. But I do think when he's on the co-coms, I think he can be a wee bit guilty over-egging the pudding a wee bit sometimes. And I think, obviously, things on the, you know, it's a poor result on Saturday, but I think he, again, was over-egged. I think, Bernardo done everything that he, he done everything right. Just the ball didn't go in the net on on that occasion, and um, obviously I, I think Palmer's got to score. But I think that's the one. That's that was a real big one. That you, that I, I think a a player in his position with, that's playing with a bit more confidence puts that in the net without even thinking about it. But he, he sort of snatched at it. Perhaps took a wee you know extra second too long. Um, but still, apart from all that. They were very much in the ascendancy, and um, as, as I, I do agree with Anthony, it's a, it's a, a poor goal to lose. Yes, you've got to credit um, Majowski; it's great footwork, and you know he picked his spot. And Joe Hart's got absolutely no chance with it. But there's two or three times in that process where, where you know we've let ourselves down, and I appreciate Naroki was on a, book, a booking, but it, it, it did stand off too much for me, and kind of gave. Almost done a lot of Majowski's work for him, kind of showed him, you know, that on the outside where to put it. So that's frustrating. And then even on the back of it, the second half, obviously get the equaliser. Um, you know, couldn't getting off the off the mark uh, for Celtic, which was obviously uh, great for him. And it looked after that that we were just going to go on and and win it. And obviously, you know, Matt O'Reilly, I, I know it's another one off the woodwork. Um, that you know, not pretty much two, three minutes after the equaliser. But even then you thought, right, still kick on. But apart from that, chances were few and far between. In fact, actually probably Aberdeen had the better of the, the chances after that. We obviously were a brilliant save for Joe Hart. But, um, you know, first half we made enough chances to win it. And, you know, Ross was saying it in the group chat and I totally agree with him. He says, it's great that we're, you know, we're making these chances, but it's, it's getting to the point, you know, you have to actually take them. Um, now and again, and we have been very wasteful in front of goal. There's no question about that. Nah, totally agree with you, Tony. It's, it, it was funny, like it was that massive cliche there, Anthony. That a game, a game of two halves. I felt Celtic did dominate the dominate the first half. On another day, I mean, we feel like we've said that a few times, even as as recently as Ross County. And another day, you'd have put that game to bed a lot earlier. With the chances you created in in the first half. And then it just went in the second half, and it, it was weird. We just came out a totally. I mean, yes, you've got to credit Aberdeen, they came out a different team. We just didn't seem to be able to cope with it. They obviously they get the goal, like, like Anthony said, it, from an Aberdeen point of view, it, it's a great goal, really good goal. But I think Burnaby plays a poor pass. Bernardo, I think he's got to be a lot stronger. Scales, who I'm not one for advocating to get the guy out of the team. I thought that was his poorest game since he's came in. I thought he was he was caught way out of position for the goal as well, just let the ball go over the top. And then like saying Lavrovka just shows uh Mioska the wrong the wrong side, I feel like it was just 
from an Aberdeen point of view, great goal from your point of view. Just so many, so many errors. I, I felt and then we got back in fairly quickly. I think it was ten minutes later. Kun and also I think as much as it sounds strange, makes uh, that we got back in with the changes. I think that also affected us because Callum McGregor just couldn't get in the game. He just seemed to be running about. I thought we got overrun in the midfield, and I felt like the game could have went either way. And then I know we had the post, but it felt also Joe Hart had that great save. But I just thought it was almost like a cup tie, how it was end to end. I don't know if that's kind of how you've seen it as well. Yeah, as the second half worn, it definitely felt more like that. The it felt again, just listening to the radio more than anything else, it felt like anybody could have got the next goal if there was going to be one. As I say, we've, we've had this up with Bernardo, who's tried to be cheeky and chip it over a couple of defenders in the box. He's he's kind of went, not for a flashy thing, he's tried to play, a, I think he's tried to play a safe ball rather than trying to hit it straight in because if you hit it straight in, in that position, he's highly likely it's going to bounce off somebody. It might bounce in the back of the net, of course, as Kuhn found out himself. But I think he's done a smart thing to try and chip it over. It's just been unfortunate to set the, the bar. Uh, we've hit the post as well. Many people will tell you, you know, any other day that could have been two or three one to us. It's not the fucking point, is it? No. They didn't go in. At the end of the day, they didn't go in and we're not taking those chances. But credit where it's due to guys like Bernardo and Kuhn, they've, they've tried to take the opportunities when it's been been presented to them. It's just, it's not been good enough at the end of the day. Back to your Morovsky goal, though. Um, I want to side with you, Franny. All credit where it's due. Morovsky took that goal fantastically. He he knew he had Naroki turned the wrong way and he made sure that Naroki couldn't turn back on him, created himself a little bit of space and he got the, was it his left foot to kind of bend it around? Hart, Hart had no chance. Can't blame him there at all. But it's a quality goal and it just, it's because the window's just closed because we've been screaming out for a striker as well as a left-back and convinced, uh, coincidentally, it's the left-back position that's let us down there. But that's a striker's goal that we we would love to have that in our team, but we don't. And the way that he played that ball, the way that he ran onto it, the way that he, he kind of kept the Rocky on the wrong side and then he eventually took the shot, that's something we're missing. Um, and as much as is maybe not everybody's first choice, definitely not mine. And at the start of the window, did not want him. But you would take him, wouldn't you? Because he, he knows how to score. Oh, no, totally. I, I totally agree. And I, I wonder if it's just... I mean, it was almost written in the stars tone. I say written in the stars tone, but it, you maybe could almost sense it in a way that maybe Milovsky was obviously a big, big rumour the whole January window that we would maybe go from even leading up to it. We would, there was rumours that we were linked to him. And it, it maybe just felt like on the first game after the window closes, turns out you're coming up against him. And you're like, well, will he, will he have an impact? And obviously it did. And then you go back, obviously you don't get the, the positive result you, you hope for. And you start maybe question going, should we have pushed the boat out for, for him? Because I don't know how much Aberdeen would have wanted, but I'm assuming it would have been between four and six million anyway, because they're obviously... As poor as they are, they're probably still vying for a European position, which is worth maybe forty-six million for them. Same as what Shankland's probably valued at, at Hearts for them, because you're you're taking a gamble on that kind of money. So, but on the flip of it, you could spend that kind of money on them. Yes, you might not oust 
uh, Kyogo off the bat, but he's certainly got an option in the league. You know he can... I mean, that was his 19th goal this season already, which I think's a great return. So you know domestically he's got to do it. And sometimes domestically that's maybe... I wouldn't say it's all you need. He maybe he has got international experience. And then he maybe just scores you the goals to guarantee you getting that 60 million Champions League money to him. It, was, it just, for me, it felt like he was going to have a say in the game, just the way that second half kind of started. Yeah, I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think a lot of it was, was daily record, lazy copy and paste. Possibly. You know, journalism, if you want to call it that, if you can accuse the daily record of ever being such. But, listen, there's not, I, I, I like Mayoski. I think he's, you know, a, a, something different is the is the cliche would say. Like you say, he's, he can hold the ball up, but he's he's gifted with the ball at his feet as well. And obviously, the fact that he's a good bit younger than Shankland, you would say that he probably falls into the category that of you know the potential resale and all that kind of thing. He fits more into our model than than what perhaps say a, a Lauren Shankland does. But but and. Like you say, absolutely. I don't know how long he's got left in his contract, but if Aberdeen were going to sell in the January window, it was going to be certainly upwards of four and a half they would want. I think that the um, the word was that they were looking for a, a Scottish record. Now, the Scottish record's is it 4.4 between Hibs and oh, Celtic for Brown still, so you're looking for at least that, um, possibly more, depending on, obviously, with how long he's got in his deal and the fact that you know they'll, they'll not want to sell. And as frustrating as that is, we're, 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 you know, Atletico Madrid didn't go over and above what they deemed Matt O'Reilly at either. Mm-hmm. So it's all very much a case of whether the club wants to sell or not as well. I think I think those days, and by the way, it's not necessarily a bad thing for as far as Scottish football is concerned. I think the days of Celtic and Rangers just clicking their fingers and, you know, the other clubs just, you know, wave out the, the, the red carpet and say, take your pick of your best players. There does seem to be a bit more backbone um, with, you know, obviously further down the pecking order you go. But certainly your Hibs, your Hearts, Aberdeen, obviously Scotland's um, third club, you know, they're they're not just going to bend over backwards the minute um, that, that, that Celtic or, or Rangers come calling. Um, but and we've seen the same across the river as well. With you know, there was rumours that there was a late bid put in for for Shankland for Rangers, and that never materialised either. Which I have to say probably did quite surprise me. But um, listen, he's he's a he's Aberdeen star man, and um, I think he possibly similar to us, perhaps resigned to losing O'Reilly in the summer. I've got, I'm sure my will move on in the summer from from up north as well. Whether that comes to ends up at us is, remains to be seen, but it's no denying um, he's a quality player, and I think he would enhance enhance most teams. To be fair, it's funny. I need to bring this comment up for Mister SPFL. Watch Stephen. I think if he looks back at the group chat, I don't think any of us said that Mioski um, was a yeah. bad player. Well, I'll just say again, Stephen, I did start this conversation by saying I didn't want him at the start of January. Aye. And it's, it's it's more of a submission that this window was so poor and that we are lacking so so much quality and depth that, yeah, I probably would have taken him at this stage because it's something that we do need. Mm-hmm. But I'm yet to be convinced that it sounds really harsh because, as Franny says, 19 goals so far this season. 
I think he hit 18 or something last season, so he's already surpassed last season's and we're only just over halfway. He's he's a quality player. Um, he's got two years left on his deal. He's 25 in the summertime. Arguably, if you're going to sign him, somebody's got to pay <clears throat> relatively big money for him because they're going to get him at the age of 25, going to 26, depending on what year you buy him. You're going to get him at peak peak kind of level. This is his next big move because after say, say he comes to Celtic in the summer, just hypothetically, mm-hmm. he signs the, the infamous five-year deal. His next deal after mm-hmm. that, unless he has one brilliant season, his next deal after that is going to be closer to 30 and it's going to be his mm-hmm. last move. This is his big move. Then it's his last move sort of thing. Um, if he keeps this up for the rest of the season, I think everybody's opinion will change of him and rightly so. Um, keep in mind he's only been in Scottish football for a year and a half. We are allowed to be dubious about him. Um, mm. There's been plenty of players who've came to Scottish football, played at Hibs and Hearts, played at Aberdeen or whatever, and not been great. Well, they've, they've been great in those teams, but not been great elsewhere. Uh, I'll throw a random hypothetical situation out, and I know we've discussed it in the group chat, the alternative ways of different players, mm. but Quan looks shite at Celtic. He looks fantastic. This can happen. Doesn't mean that they're mm. going to be shite all the time, because again, look at Iron, look at Christie, look at Scott McDonald. It can happen, but we we've got the right to be dubious and careful, surely. Yeah, and, not... and it'd be weird, like like you say, Franny. I, do, I think going back to the the group chat, I don't think there was anyone that either a denied that he, he, he wasn't a talented player, or b that he could potentially do a job for us. I think the question was, is it going to be the guy, the guy that you're going to spend a significant sum on? Like if you normally if you're spending that kind of money at Celtic, then you are going into the team. If you spend well, five million plus. You look at guys like Carter Vickers, um, Kyogo. They, they they were the sort of jota. They were the guys that you spent that kind of money on. You're spending that type of money on a guy that potentially isn't going to is is going to be straight away a backup. That's where we we raise the questions. But yeah, absolutely no revisionism. Uh, just Kenny sticking me off to John's coming and he's saying if that's a level of ambition for the fans screaming about the signings. And then he's gone. He's not playing against a low block and trying to create space amongst ten men in the, uh, every week, just because he scores at Aberdeen and Seahaw, which to an extent is true. But I mean, I'm probably the last to kind of talk about sort of for the snobbery Ross. I'll vouch for that. I, I know Lee Griffiths came for came up for Wills, but Lee Griffiths is a player I didn't think would do anything. Scott McDonald, like you said, there, Anthony, I was a player I never thought would succeed at Celtic. Um, I, I think there is times that are my business snobbery towards like John McGinn. We didn't didn't push a vote for him. There's there's an argument for maybe Lewis Ferguson who's now over in Italy, doing well. Josh Doig as well. I think there is players within that league that possibly could do a job for us. And John's probably John's John well within his opinion. To, to, to be fair about um, the McGinn things are slightly different. I mean, don't be wrong. Celtic, Celtic put up the money eventually. Don't, don't get yes. me wrong, but Rod Petrie did, it didn't matter what Celtic were, were going to offer. Even if Celtic offered what Villa offered, Petrie did. Unless I think it was John says money, <laughs> thank you, Celtic. Tony. Thank you. Because I've been saying, I know Bully just came on to the podcast recently, uh-huh. but I've been saying this for years about the John McGinn saga. This could be a mad tangent here as well. I've said yes. exactly that for years. Celtic went in there, and I've, as you guys know, one of the biggest critics and haters of Peter Lowell. For many years now, I, I can't stand him. He's, he needs out of my club. But credit where it's due. We went in there and they said, what did they say, four million they asked for, I think it was, with their boats. And we said, 
2 million. And they said, no, 4 million. So we said 2.2 million, 4 million, 2.3 million, 4 million, 2.5 million, 4 million. They never budged. Aston Villa came in and went 3.2. They went, I okay then. And that was it. They were refusing to sell to us. They were refusing to budge. See, they turned around and says 4 million, 2.2. And they says, what about 3.5? Maybe we would have went up a bit higher, had some negotiation. There was no negotiation we had. Petrie did not want to sell to us. Fundamentally, he had no, no say in it. It's, eventually they accepted it because we matched Villa but I think the story goes that at that point McGinn had already been down to see I, Villa and he'd already kind of gentleman's agreement he didn't want to go back on it credit where it's due there'll be McGinn you know man of his word but Celtic had no chance there oh, that's fair that's fair well we'll, we'll get back on a all things Saturday unfortunately <laughs> um, and I'm just Do kidding we have to? That, well Unfortunately, because that's the topic of Rotten Anthony, so I can't, it's not the it's not the double pivot on a Wednesday where we can just go and go anywhere. Uh, true, but true. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll come to yourself, uh, Tori. I mean, was it maybe just a bad day at the office, or I mean, it's kind of obvious players didn't perform. But for me, it's I know you'll get bad days in a season quite a few, but these for me it feels like the bad days are. Happening more frequent than more frequent than I would like, and I don't know if that's maybe because there's a genuine title challenge, and I'm just a wee bit anxious or that, or the or the emotions that come when there's a genuine title challenge and things like that. But I don't know how you felt. Was it just a bad day at the office, or there is too many players underperforming at this moment? I mean, I mean, mixture of all of that, Franny. To, to be honest, listen, there's no doubt whatever side of the you know the debate you're on with regards to either the recruitment or the January window or, or, or any of that kind of thing. I think, you know, Stevie Wonder could see that things are being charitable, a bit disjointed behind the scene. I mean, but I'm sure a lot of folk viewing tonight will probably come up with a lot stronger words than that. Maybe Anthony will as well. But <laughs> I think we can all, everyone can see that not everyone seems to be singing from, from the same hymn sheet. And I think as much as, you know, you know, players especially when they get asked by the media, they'll just say, you know, we block all that out and, you know, we just got on with the, with the job at hand. I mean, I think, you know yourself, in any walk of life, if, if things are going well at work, there's just a naturally better atmosphere around the place. Um, there's always, you know, your, your bad days as well. But I think, yeah, you say, obviously, we had the, the that really poor period at the start of like, kind of late November, early December. And then we've got back to one in ways, but I think what a lot of people are worried about, perhaps part for the Rangers game aside, funnily enough, there's not really been a big performance in, in, in any of those games. Obviously, we went, I suppose we played well at St Mirren, to be fair, but, you know, the, the ones against Livingston and, and Dundee, the players like that, uh, games like that, they, they, they've not been kind of that, that usual Celtic way one, and shall we say, you know, the kind of swashbuckling, fast-paced um, football that we... In a lot of ways, say as the Celtic way and how how we like to play. So that they're, they're, they're absolutely um, as that side of things. But as I said at the start, even when we were you know seven eight points clear, I think just the way that things have naturally went this season, there is got to be. Obviously, I didn't envisage us dropping as many points so far as we did. But this this is a title race. There's there's absolutely no question about it. And what I would always say is, and and, and it's kind of what frustrates me a little bit about some sections of the support i mean 
we don't like being neck and neck at the moment. Of course we do. I'd, I'd much rather be nine, ten points clear. Of course I would. Because, it, but whether we like it or not, the reality is that it's it's neck and neck at the moment. Now, if and 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 any and I said it before the derby. Worst case scenario, there's still half a season to go, and I think if they'd have won the derby and then won their game in hand, it would have been they'd have been two points clear. And I says, but obviously we won, so the, the gap extended back up to five points. But yet there still seem to be jitters there. Whereas in the over in the camp across the water, even if they even if they'd went five behind, which they did do, now you can call it delusional. But there doesn't seem to be any ounce of giving up, or you know, they they, they seem more up for the fight than I think a section of our support are at the minute. And I get some people's reasoning. I can understand frustrations with, with certain things, but there's always people that say that there's remnants of the COVID season about this season in terms of recruitment and other things. I'm not sure I necessarily subscribe to that, but what I definitely do feel is in the COVID season, we lost the first derby and there was a healthy section of support chucked it that day in October. We're like, that, oh, that's it. Um, things aren't going well. They've got a run of games. We, this could fall behind really quickly. We were profits of our own doom in that sense because that is essentially what happened. But that that's the reality. We're in a title race. I don't I don't actually think that they're necessarily pulling up many trees either. Anyone talks about our transfer window. I don't think they, they've particularly had a good one either. What they do have is a bit of wind in their sails with you know the new manager coming in as the season came in and obviously they'd, we were already out of the League Cup by the time he came in. So, you know, they've went on and, and picked up a bit of silverware there. But I would urge the section of the support at the minute, regardless of how much their frustration is and some I can share, but this, it, it just seems this eagerness to just be on the side of negativity all the time. It's not, it's not going to help matters, I would say. I, I'd rather... And everyone will say, you know, that, that then you fall into the, the happy clapper territory. And that's what I don't like right now about the, the Celtic support. You're either a, a you're either a, a, a bored apologist or you're a, a happy clapper or you're a bedwetter. You know, you're, you're, you're that or you're that. There's, there's a hundred different nuances in between. I can understand frustration. I, I obviously wanted other players to come in in the window as well. But for a variety of reasons, some of which are own doing, Others not. We are. Um, I'm. I'm. I can count, Stephen. I'm very aware that Celtic have dropped eight <laughs> points. You know, it's. It's. You know, I'm not an idiot. Um, but this constant. The minute we're not three nothing up after twenty minutes, there's anxiety in the stands, especially at Celtic Park. I'm sure anyone that's there will notice it. And it's almost like we're we're almost self prophesizing our own doom. And you're like that. Us getting into hyperactive states every time something doesn't go right isn't going to help matters. I can understand frustrations, but there comes a point where you just have to go, let's go and get the game won. And I think on the that side of the support, I don't think... I, th I think that, that their anger at the board is overshadowing the title race itself. It's almost like it's a dual, a dual fraction. And you coincide that in with some of them that didn't want the manager back in the first place. You've got a, a potential recipe for disaster. But I would remind folk, it's February. 
there's a title race on. That's no questions asked there. But we just need to get on with it. And I think constant revisionism about recruitment or, or anything else or what who wanted to as a manager and you know should we have tried to keep Ange or anything like that is for the birds now. This is our manager, this is our squad. There's a league to be won and there's a cup to be defended as well. So let's just go on and do it. Well, I'm glad you answered if that was a bad day at the office of players not performing mm. that, eh, Tony? I can't even offer a bit of tangent there, but not. Well, Kenny, we will get back to that. I might not come to you. That was that was for later in the show. But I'll see you in 20 minutes. But I just wanted to touch on sort of some some players, uh, Anthony, that we got. I thought Hart, Hart, I felt, had an indifferent game. There was times where I felt he should have came for the ball and didn't, but obviously he has that big save. Uh, at, at one each, Kuhn, I thought, showed a wee, showed glimmers of what he maybe can do, and obviously he, he gets the equaliser, um, so that would probably put him in, in good stead. Ida, I thought it was a hard game for him to come out. I, I, personally, I, I would have felt it'd have been a hard game for any player to come in. It just that second half was just madness at times. Um, but I thought, I thought he actually showed some good touches and stuff. But obviously, he laid on the goal, then he had the one point where uh, O'Reilly hits the post. But speaking of O'Reilly, he was one of the guys that maybe didn't have his best game and maybe that was shows how much we rely on him. I felt McGregor had to do a lot of sort of Bernardo and O'Reilly's dirty work, which didn't help McGregor's game. Kyogo, again, just doesn't seem to... This system for me just does not seem to... Does not seem to suit him. I thought Abada coming back might have helped him because he gets the ball in the early, but even Abada's been shite since he came back. Like We've got wingers that just can't go by their man. Which is, is is madness, and I don't know about yourself. It's, it's, it's Palmer's numbers starting, maybe just to mask how how well he's actually playing, Anthony. I still like Palmer. Um, I, can I see still that like obviously, him. I can see his numbers aren't there anymore. Uh, the last few games, he seems to be no, no bringing the the goals and the assists in that he did at the at the start of his time at Celtic and. I don't know if we can just blame it all on Palmer sort of thing or if it's all blamed on, on everybody because the whole team just isn't really is really gelling at this point. And I think I think you can see that and um in the way that we play. There's a lot of passes that are just a lot bit behind players, a lot bit over hit. Some runs aren't being made when they should be made. Players are looking a bit kind of like, oh sorry guys, didn't you mean that one? And I think there's just a general people don't know what they're doing with each other and I don't think it helps guys like Palmer or Bader coming back in and this is not to defend either of them at all because they need to do better but if the rest of the team's not pulling together in the right direction then they're not going to play together well and that inevitably and again I don't I'm more inclined to go against the, the board of the club here for all the issues that we've got overall but on the day-to-day, Roger still needs to get these guys training and playing a certain way and getting them all playing together in the best formation and the best system that, that he can provide for the players he has at his disposal. And I have to pick my words carefully there because <clears throat> he doesn't have his players and he doesn't have the players that are good for his system that he wants to play. So he needs to amend himself to, to get the players to work with him and vice versa. We've seen it with guys like Greg Taylor and Alistair Johnson, the perfect examples of it. Alistair Johnson was fantastic last year under Ange. So was Greg Taylor. Both of them are, are shadows of themselves at this stage because they're playing completely different roles, completely different systems. 
they're not being asked to invert as much. Taylor has done it on occasion. But if nobody's doing the job that they actually need to do, and if nobody's on board with doing that job, it's all going to look a bit shite. And that's on Rogers. So, yeah, Palmer's numbers are, are not quite what they were a couple of months ago. He's not quite getting involved in the games and setting up other people. And it's it's on him as much as it's on Rogers. but somebody's put it all together. And my overall thinking here, my overall point is going to be this, uh, was it Green Brigade had the banner a couple of years ago in the COVID season? I think it might be coming out again just now as it is. Sack the board, back the team sort of thing. We need to differentiate the difference. As Tony says, there's a title to be won. We're in a fight here. We're in a race. Yeah, we're all pissed off at the transfer dealings. Yeah, we all know. Even the apologists know that the board is not surely pulling in the right direction with the right ambition that we all feel like we deserve. But at the same time, the team needs the fans because the, the players know what's going on behind the scenes on at the club and the players know what's going on behind our minds when we're doing the podcast and stuff. They'll tell you they don't have social media. They'll tell you they don't read papers. I, they do. They know what we're saying, what we're thinking. They know what's going on. They know that the the feeling in the camp of the fans is negative and that feeds into them. You can see that at times and it feeds into the manager, but the manager needs to do better. And I, I, I totally agree with that. And that, like, I think that whole, like you said, the sack the board uh, back the team. I think we can all get on board with that. I think. I mean, I'm not going to sit and pretend to know. I, I'm probably on the side where it's. I, I do think any sort of a flourishing business should be changing personnel at the, the top more frequently than what we do. It's just how you kind of progress a business. I feel like. Um, but I, I, like the sack the board thing kind of noise because it's we can't we, we'd simply can't the only way we're going to affect change at sack the board level is if we go through maybe a year or two it absolutely like killing them in the pocket but unfortunately we are a fan base that sticks up for the club in the sense that I think there's 15 to 20,000 uh, 20, fans on a waiting list for season tickets so if guys like Anthony who have a season ticket Give it up. There'll be somebody to take it. I, I, unfortunately, I, and that's sorry? where it gets difficult. Unfortunately, yeah, and that's where it gets yes. difficult, Franny, because I know. sorry that us three could turn and say, right, we're not buying any more shirts. We're not buying tickets for the games. We're not going to the games. Da, 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 da. There's another 20,000 that will. And yes, there's still 15,000 in the ground that will still renew anyway. So that's 45,000 there. I know. Even and though 40,000 have dropped off, there's still 45,000 there. It's and then not there'll be the difference to the, the board. Obviously, there is some general sale tickets. The folk that can yeah. be probably regulars that buy them, they'll maybe even if they decide they're not going to do it, there'll be folk that step up and I, I would. It's one of them. You're damned if you do, and damned if you don't. When you want to get rid of the board at the end of the day, but uh, we'll just kind of get get moving on because we all kind of fall back into that. Like Patojo, uh, it's weirdly always been in a way ground. It's been pivotal in some league campaigns. You go back to Ronnie Dyla, Ange Postacoglu won his first away game there. Uh, I think it was our first away one in, in a while. Just unfortunately, this time round, it's maybe, I say it's, I mean, it's early days to call it, but it just, I think it, it was obviously not how pivotal as we see it. And I think some of that's based on the fact that Rangers, by the time we kick a ball on Wednesday, Rangers could be top of the league on goal difference. But 
So I'm wondering if maybe the, the sort of anxiety, but we'll come to yourself, Anthony, because I know you didn't get on a Friday or saying before we came on about the, the recruitment side. And I think we kind of briefly spoke about it with Mioski. I think recruitment will come into question after games like that because they say, not going to write Ida or Kuhn off yet. I don't, pardon me, I don't believe, well, clearly Ida was never. Uh, one of Brendan Rogers' first choice, I think he actually came out and said it was a few days before he actually signed when he heard about Celtic's interest. It was the only team he wanted to come and play for. Um, so I think that shows that maybe our, we were trying to get targets elsewhere. Um, Kuhn, I mean, he might be a, a quality player. As I say, I'm not going to write him off. It just, why did it take three weeks? I don't I don't know how transfer dealings work, but why did it take three weeks to get this guy in? Were we maybe not scouting before that, or was it again just I don't know? Then, obviously, all the rumors you hear in the last couple of sort of 24 hours, 48 hours, a uh, try to get a left back just felt like we're just gone through left. It was like we're playing champ man and just put filtered it to left backs and just went down each one to see if we could get them on one. For me, it was I wouldn't say embarrassing, but it was it seemed a bit desperate. Uh, it, Sort of the last last week or so of the the transfer window. I don't know how you you felt about it. Desperate is probably a good word for it, Franny. It was typical Celtic. It was it was pathetic and desperate at the end of the day. Um, was it the PSG boy, the left back mm-hmm. one? He's on hundred k a week. If we tried to loan him, how is that ever going to work out? Really, um, he's not kicked the ball in about three years either. He's a big name if you want to go down the, the realms of you know getting a, an international PSG kind of player in. But he's 30, 31. He, he was never a real prospect going forward. It would have been a quick loan deal purely because Taylor got injured because we were never going to sign the guy. We are never going to be able to afford his wages long term. So it, it was a, at best, it would have been a cheeky PSG, what you got first, can we take him on loan? And they probably would have asked for at least 50% to be paid, surely. And at that point, we're never paying that kind of wage. Why did it take that long for us to realise we needed a left back? I have no idea. Um, we know Taylor's the only semi-reliable one that we have. Um, as much as I've got a soft spot for Burnaby, purely because he's Argentinian and he's small and I want to see what he can do. <laughs> um, he's he's not good. Uh, why did we not scout one sooner? Why were we not chasing something sooner? I, I, I generally have no idea. Sure. People on the forums... Aye. Um, people on the, the message boards and social medias are now scouting you know, out-of-contract left-backs to see who can come in and there's nobody really but that's no our jobs Franny, that's no for we can sit in here and talk about it and throw names into that but we've got an apparent team of scouts and recruitment and I say apparent because I don't know who the hell they are um, but we've got a recruitment team there of some ilk, it's their job to go out and do this they've had since summertime They've had since about a year ago to find another left back, but they've had since summertime to really know that we really needed a left back. Why is it taking to the last 48 hours to suddenly think, oh, Christ, we better try and loan somebody? Why is the striker that we're signing a loan deal where Adam Adaya is in a win-win situation here? If he doesn't score a barrel load of goals, he goes back down to the championship with Norwich and he, he just gets on with his days. And it's, you know... I was second choice behind Kyogo. I never got a fair chance. It's, you know, Farmers League and all the rest. He just goes away and ignores it. He scores a barrel load of goals. 
he goes back down to Norwich and Norwich go, happy days, £15 million from another championship team. It's one win for them. We don't get any real benefit apart from perhaps he scores a few goals and he might get a steadily title, but we don't get any long-term benefit out of him. Why is it we're not signing Sidney Van Hoydonk? And I know we can turn around and say, we weren't interested in him. The rumours are that he was interested in us. But if he's presented to us in any capacity, why are we not signing him? Why are we actually signing the third-choice Norwich striker after he signed for Norwich? We're getting the guy that he's kicked out that's deemed not good enough because Sydney's better. It just boggles my mind why we're leaving things so late to do any deals to the point where we go back to what we were saying earlier with Stephen the comments. I would have taken me off skip that point because at least it would have been somebody somehow you know, capable of scoring and walking into, I say walking to team, walking to the squad and do a job. Would he be worth the four and a half, five, six million that Aberdeen want? Probably not. But he'd be somebody who you know you could rely on to score a few goals, surely. I we, totally, we could have done it ages ago. Could have done all this ages ago. Yeah, I totally agree. And like, like you say, it's, for me, Tony, the scouting should always be, scouting and recruitment should be 24-7 at the end of the day. It should not be, right, January, who can we bring in? You should be preparing. For, you've seen, that was one of Angie's biggest things. He said he was always kind of preparing a window or two ahead and we always seemed to get the, the deals done fairly early then, which was always was always good. Now, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and I know I like to contradict myself for the time, but I did say um, when I think it was on the double pivot show with, with Ross and Jed about the way it was looking with the, the boy uh, Adam Eda is maybe we were trying to get our first choice uh, target potentially up front and it just got to a stage where we were just making no breakthrough in the fuck right. Well, we can, we've been presented this guy, Adam Eda, who we can get him loan for six months, hence no ob- obligation or no agreement to on a fee and make make the deal permanent. So maybe it was just um it, 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 it maybe was just a stopgap and we've been I say reassurances because you can never be guaranteed that you've got to get your, your target in the summer, but maybe I've been given reassurances from that club saying look, come back this summer with X amount of money and we'll get talking. The Sydney Van Hoydonk one, it, it, it does seem weird like Ross is coming in here and saying, and it's true, Pierre Van Hoydonk, his dad's on record, is saying he wasn't ready for a, for a club, uh, a Celtic stature, which is fair. Um, but it just seems, I think when you look at the optics, that when he goes into Norwich and we take the guy that's, like Anthony said, has kicked him out, it just does not look great for, for a Celtic point of view. But, it's maybe due to the fact that maybe we did look at him when we were presented with him. And outside sort of for Heronveen, he's he's maybe got he's, he's got an okay record. I think he's pretty much one in two goals, his record. I think he's got 190 odd games, he's got like 98 goals or something. So his record is pretty decent, I think. I could totally be making that up, but I think he is. But maybe it was the romance of having Hoydonk, the number nine shirt was available, maybe that was what got a lot of fans. On board with that, but I just think for me the recruitment just in that January window was it just was weird. I don't know. I don't know if it's yourself to the, the I'm I must admit in terms of Sydney Van Hoydonk, me and Ross are in, are in are in total agreement here, and I think you might be right, Franny, in the sense that there perhaps is a bit of the romance of you know Big Pierre's laddie and stuff coming in. If Celtic may well agree with his dad's 
own opinion and just thinks, listen, Norwich City is absolutely not Glasgow Celtic, so it could be he could go to Celtic via Norwich, but of course, but that would all very much depend on how well he does at Norwich, because of course, if he goes and lights it up there, then naturally there'll be a Premier League club come in for him, and then then the money's just become um, completely, you know, off the record. Where where I do agree with the with the recruitment side of things, and it's where I always say, obviously, at the end of January, there people are saying, oh, this is this is reminiscent of the the, the COVID season in terms of poor planning and stuff. But I think that is that's the one thing that I disagree on because I think there le- there has been lessons learned from the COVID season and the lesson is that we're not going if if there is a deal to be made for a, a six million pound plus player, Celtic will are prepared to, to do it, but they're not going to do it without doing a bit of proper due diligence first, usually meaning a season-long loan deal before we are trying to buy option. I mean, the, the the big thing that we often hear at the minute is we've, we've never replaced Jota. Um, you, know, you know, we sold him for £25 million, but let's not forget, we didn't sign him from Benfica's first team. We signed him for Benfica reserves. Our best centre-half was a nomad right around the English lower leagues and was plying his trade in Tottenham reserves. We bought him. Um, up on loan could quite clearly, quite clearly, and quite quickly see that he was worth the outlay, and we paid it. And I would imagine it's going to be the same this summer with um, with Bernardo as well, because I would imagine it would be six million plus for him as well. In terms of Van Hooydonk, I can only assume, and because I don't, I don't know enough about him, I've not seen him play. Um, if his surname wasn't that of his his father. I would know even less about him, but we could say that perhaps Celtic have looked at him and agree with his own father's assessment that there's absolutely no way this guy's getting out in Kyogo. He's not going to be any competition for Kyogo, but we're wanting to spend a hefty chunk of money um, to, to, to bring him in and maybe all parties I've just thought that's that, that's that's not worth a while. Um, granted, I don't know much about Adam Ida either. I, I think um, I thought he looked okay when he came. I didn't really get much opportunity. Um, on the, I think a lot of people say he's quite good with the ball at his feet. I think he looked okay without being uh, without being particularly brilliant. Um, I think that that's that is a bit of a Fair point, Monty. I think there was perhaps too many projects came in in the summer rather than there wasn't that balance. And that's what clubs and our part of the football and ecosystem are always trying to to find that balance. And you could there's definitely an argument to be made that we didn't do that, um, especially in the summer. Um, listen, I'm always, I'm always disappointed when... They, you used the term there, Franny. The optics are that it's that it's we've came out of a, a, a poor window. I was never um, prepped. I, I had no idea. I didn't think in any way that we were going to buy another keeper in because I think it's folly to change a goalkeeper halfway through the season. I think I can understand the argument for a left back, absolutely. Although by the same point, you know, Greg's been there. You know, four or five years now, he has seen off that you know 
three successive Celtic managers clearly see something in him to want to keep him around. I get that we can upgrade on Greg. That's all, the, the other argument. We can up, we need to upgrade for him for Europe, but I'm sure there was more cultured right backs out there in O'Neill's time than Jackie McNamara, but he persisted with him. I'm not saying that that's the same level. And Jackie was a great wee player, but I think Taylor more than is is. I, I like Greg Taylor. I've not I've never shied away from that. If there was a chance of getting a striker in that fitted the mould up front, then I would have been all for it as well. But if you can't get the guy that you want, I mean, I'm sure, I don't know if there's going to be Atletico Madrid fans on a podcast tonight saying, you know, we could have won in the Bernabeu last night if only we'd, you know, stamped our feet more and got got Celtic's best player. You know, clubs don't want to sell. There's not really much the buying club can do. I know I'm sounding like a bold apologist now, but I'm, <laughs> which I'm genuinely not, which I'm absolutely not one of. And, and, and everyone knows my views on Peter Law will be very much aligned with, with Anthony's as well. But I just think there's a section of support at the minute that it's just, it's similar with the Man United kind of outlook as well. Every single thing in the world is the fault of the Glazers. Now, I'm not, that's no me advocating for the Glazers either, but when it's, the same thing over and over and over again, it sort of loses its efficacy and its potency. And regardless of whether we bring in Adam Eder or Sidney Van Hoydonk or anyone else, I'm still of the belief that that squad there, under the stewardship of Brendan Rodgers, is more than capable of winning this league title. I accept that the forum's not been great, that the results have been patchy the last wee while, and I definitely do think that it's clear to see that there's something not right behind the scenes. But all, all that aside, I do think we're more than capable of winning that league title and defending our Scottish Cup as well. So what will be, will be. But in terms of the, the window itself, I, I know a lot of people were, you know, it, was, it wasn't even just disappointed. It was, there was a, a lot of anger about it. I can understand it, but by the same point, I'm, I wasn't quite as patriotic as, as others. Nah, I, I, I get that. It's, um, well, you came, I'm, I'm similar to Stephen. I just want to sometimes just to spend money. I'm sorry for spending money's sake. So <laughs> um, I'm not tend to be, I try and be as balanced as I can when it comes to the transfer window, but sometimes well, I just... But I'll, I'll be really quick, just, just, just to sum up, and that's what I say about the, the lessons of the COVID season as well. Of course, I get that it was a pandemic, so... There was a whole other different range of financial things there as well. But our spending in that window, we, we spent a huge amount of money on players that weren't up to scratch. Not one of them of the big money signings cut out, you know, your bar cassies. Um, I don't the, the boy we got back on loan for Southampton, he never kicked a ball in the COVID season. Um, obviously a Yeti as well. They were all extremely poor. David Turnbull was a, probably one of the rare, the rare shining lights in that campaign. So, sorrow again. Um, but you, I had people say, oh, Ange spent a hell of a lot of money when he came in. People forget that the only reason that we were able to spend that kind of money on the back of a pandemic was because we had two, well, three arguably, could we didn't think we'd get a million pounds for Christie because he was in the last six months of his deal. But we had Edward there and we had Ayer there. So they, the selling of those guys essentially paid for Angie's rebuild. So 
I think that's where that bit due diligence comes in. I think we have had our fingers burned there, and I think from now on, whether we like it or not, the, the kind of rule of thumb is until we until we can see what we are getting for our cash, the the six million plus deals can still be made, but we need to we need to see we need to try before we buy, so to speak, and see what they if they can live up live with the hype and the pressure they're playing for Celtic. I do I do get that and like the try before you buy model is kind of what was of like my only concern with that is are are these teams going to when you start talking to six, seven, eight, nine million pound players, has teams really got to loan these guys out and just so you can try before you buy if you like you, you might find teams will do it, but some teams might not be willing to do it. And there was Kenny saw sort of touching on the, the sort of bigger picture within the, the club here, Anthony. Obviously, there was a, I think it was the supporters group, the boys, uh, unfilled a banner at the, the weekend saying Celtic board on your head, be it, which I felt was a clear clear message to where they see the, maybe the, the ambitions of the club, which even who the snitch is saying, he's saying there is no ambition within the club and stuff. And I think... Obviously, you see the seventy-two million pound in the bank. Then we don't seem to spend. Fans will say we're not spending money, or we're not, we're not really speculating to accumulate, if you like. Um, so, do you think? I mean, it was an obvious, clear message from that supporters group. I think the Green Brigade would be on board with that, and I think a large portion of the fans will be on board with it, and maybe growing growing by the day, that sort of a sort of outlook. But do you think that kind of message is an overreaction or do you think it's it's fully justified? I mean, far for any of us to tell tell another fan how they should react, but we're on a podcast, we debate, we talk about things, it's it's we've got to do it in the day. We do. We do do. Uh, that statement, that that banner, um one hundred percent justified. If we lose this title because we didn't invest in a left back uh, and a striker that's that we have confidence going to score lots of goals for us to take us over the line and a combative midfielder to help support the midfield that's, that's needing some help sometimes. If we've not signed him because the board has done various things for various different reasons, as as Tony alludes to, you know. The try before you buy. Sometimes we need to be careful who who we spend our good money on because we we can't waste. We've been burnt twice by a jet in Barkas in the one season at five, five and a half million pounds. I get that they'll be risk adverse, but unfortunately, this is football business. We we need to be we need to be a little bit risky. We need to speculate to accumulate. We need to push the ball out a wee bit. We've not got time when we only get two or three years out of a manager. We've not got time to wait two or three years to figure out can we afford to sign a bunch of players that will fit the team and the system. And then see the manager walk away and then have to do it all again. We need to take the risk sometimes. And I get that we need to be careful. I do generally love the idea of a loan with the option to buy. However, I think there's two things we need to keep in mind. Giotto came from the Benfica B team. So is Bernardo. They're probably more like two, three million pound players, realistically. And I know we can all berate the fact that we spend that much money on too many players spread too thin. But see if you're doing your scouting properly, 
that risk shouldn't be that high if you've actually scouted properly and you have a system and a structure at the club that tells you that the player you're scouting, the type of player you want, is actually going to fit the manager's style. And we're not just playing football manager and going, he's got lots of speed and pace. He's got lots of head and ability. You scout them properly and you can get them in for two or three million pound as opposed to six or seven million pound. But I do like them between that you can loan them in and pay the money later on. But Benfica are covering the bases and saying, now you're going to give us six or seven million. You're going to give me 30% of whatever future fee because they know fine well, we're loaning them on the hope that they are good for us, that we do sign them and then they know we're going to sell them for 20 plus million. So it's all a game between all the clubs and I get that as well. But we need to be a bit more assertive in our risk and our speculation because we've not got time to go two or three years before we actually get a squad built together, which is what Ange eventually done. Ange spent two years and he eventually got a squad that was just able to go toe-to-toe with most of the teams in Europe that we'll come up against, but was missing maybe four or five players that we needed to spend five or six million pounds on each. And he saw what was coming last summer and he got out of Dodge as quick as he could. I do not blame him. He's got a good gig at Spurs and whatnot. But we weren't going to invest in him again. Or maybe we were. We don't know. It's hypothetical, isn't it? But now that Rodgers is in, we can't invest in Rodgers until we know what he's going to do and what the club's doing and what the players are doing and all this risky stuff that we're going to take a take. We can't do that. So when it comes to things like the banner, be it on your head sort of thing, yeah, it's on the board's head. Because if we do throw this title away, it's on them for not doing their job properly. It's on them not recruiting properly. It's on them not getting a left back in six months ago, let alone six days ago. No, I, I, I tend to agree with a lot of that. And like say, Anthony, it's uh, with the board that's like that message. As I said, some of us fans will maybe just look at it and go, they've got all that cash in the bank. There's no reason not to go. Obviously, there is, there's different. There is reasons you can't. You, you maybe can't go and buy a player, but some fans will maybe look at it and go, Well, why didn't you why didn't you push out? Could be a bit of Rogers has to take the blame for that for maybe not pushing hard enough. And um, we know Ange kind of mentioned that uh, just kind of I think it was during his first window, he was like, Maybe I'm just not being strong enough. I don't know if it was still during the, the summer window or after it. Mm-hmm. I just know it was after a European game. Um also the recruitment team maybe not doing their job properly and I think probably it will be the board that's maybe not doing their job properly. And, and obviously fans will maybe look to it. And now I know it's not as simple as what I'm about to say, but we value some of our players like Matt O'Reilly, 20 plus million. We also got 25 for Jota. Some of that's probably based off the Saudi money. Um, we look at CCV. I think if somebody came in for him, we'd probably be arguing 15 million plus for him. Uh, I'm trying Kyogo. You're probably looking. Maybe we'd be asking for similar figures for Hangar. I know fairly recently we were looking. I think you would even be asking for maybe around about ten million mark for even Abada and things like that. But when it comes to us wanting a four-day type of players, it seems like oh well, we maybe kind of get their players in. So it's like how can we have the kind of players in our squad, but can we seem to bring that level of player in? Now, I know it's not as simple that because obviously a lot of these players we have brought in and progressed. Like, I don't, it, it sounds like I don't believe anybody thought when we bought Matt O'Reilly within Celtic that he was going to turn, in, turn out to be the player that he actually was. But you obviously expect him to be good. Um, 
but I don't. Where where do you sort of sit with the whole the the board and whose fault? I mean, is it on their head? Be it if we don't win this league. Well, for 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 as much as what I've said, and I do get where the. I mean, if the banner had been more in terms of, and we know that that's a fan group that very much align themselves with the North Curve and what I can only describe as their disgraceful post today that Brendan was um, was unveiled um, officially as, you know, coming back as manager. You know, I think, although they'll say Celtic board on your head, be it, the first person that normally pays the price is the manager, rightly or wrongly. Um, and I think that it would be, I mean, I think if Celtic are not going to win the league this year, it'll be a case of a lot of things, but the board would be they, they would carry the most of the can, yeah, because, yes, they've got the ones that have got a lot of the, the big decisions, etc. to make when it comes to, to running the club. My, my biggest um, issue with them, it seems to be, and we, we know as well that Brendan was not a unanimous choice with the board. You know, for reasons unknown, we wanted to go down these unknown routes and I think that's what I find quite frustrating as well with the fact that there is a segment section of the support that would happily see him get ready now that also can't stand the board. So they're going to get rid of whatever you think of him, a top drawer, coach, manager, and the same board that they despise, you know, they, they would then put their trust in them to bring in someone else and they can guarantee it will not be someone of his calibre. So... But then again, I don't understand why you why you wouldn't bring a guy of Brendan's calibre in and then not go down that route. So I, get, I totally get the speculate to accumulate argument. I think there is, to use a terrible term, I think there is some mitigating factors with regards to when he came in in the summer. Lots of managers come in on the back of, you know, normally when a new manager comes in, it's because something else has happened. In the club, you know, like Ange, for example, came in, we weren't in, a, in great shakes. Brendan had to take over a, a treble winning team, but not his own team. And he, you could argue, yes, we got too many projects in, and perhaps not one or two of the, the blue chip signings that, you know, the fans would want. So he's still essentially managing with another guy's team, more or less. So that's where I'll always kind of back the manager more. But I think they got the banner more or less right. I think there was always going to be some sort of response to the to the January window, and I was quite glad that it did seem to be more at the the powers that be rather than the the man in the dugout. I accept what Anthony was saying earlier that everyone's got to be working, and you know, Brendan has kind of went one way and the other sometimes when he's trying to play both sides um, in the media. That's just that's just his nature. He's a kind kind of diplomatic person, um, but yeah, in terms of figurehead for the club, I don't think we're going to get dugout-wise, we're not going to get any better so I can understand why the board were the the sort of recipients of the, of the banner on, on Wednesday and uh, on Saturday, sorry, and it didn't help, obviously, that we've then not went and took the three points which would have been, um, which would have kind of calmed the waters a wee bit but just makes Wednesday all the more important now Well it does not I think Certainly for myself and I think some of the fan base is just the frustration where it looked like we were sort of a 
when we brought Rogers in over over strengthening for a power of strength, uh, strength. I don't even think that's the, the the phrase, but I know what I mean. But you, you go out and get a top top manager, um, when you're on the back of a treble, but it just feels like, but <laughs> that's what we've done. That was that was a big major signing. Uh, that sort of a season is we'll get you this top top manager, but we're not going to. Just feels like I've not tooled them up, but oh, we'll we'll move on to we'll move on to Wednesday, eh, Tony. That was a nice wee segue you done and stuff. But I mean, Hibs away, it, it's not been not been a great ground for us. I, I mean, I've got Phil McGinley eh, to thank for this. I was listening to their their Sunday blather on the way down to Preston the day, um, but I believe. I'm chucking Phil under the bus as well, no pun intended, but I believe we've only won twice there since they came back, Hibs came back into the league proper, and it's like Lennon and Ange won. Brendan Rodgers has never won there. I mean, when you look at it like that, it's probably not the fixture you want after Saturday, but then you look at Hibs' recent record, they've won one game in the last six, drew two and lost three. They're a team that are not playing great right now, so... I mean, what, what, what's your thoughts coming on a, a Wednesday anyway? Well, it's it's quite well. I think it's it's the record's slightly better. We won there under Ange in season one as well. I think we went three or four up in the first half. It was quite early on in Ange's tenure. Mm. And obviously, we won there about Christmas time last year as well. And obviously, you know, we won there with, with Lenny in the cup. Just you know, ironically, when Brendan left us. The week before, um, first time round, but you're, you're bang on, mate. Brendan's never won there. It's notoriously, for whatever reason, tough place for us to go, regardless of what kind of form Hibs have been in um, the last few years. But you're, you're bang on, it could be one of those ones. Um, they say, oh, it's the worst possible fixture. It could end up being the best possible fixture as well. And of course, I, I remember, again, it was Angie's f- first season when we were still trying to, you know, cobble a couple of results together and Rangers were at home to Aberdeen. We were away to Hibs and we thought that was they were a right good chance that they were going to pull even further ahead because Rangers were, were ahead at that point. And it turned out going the other way, Rangers dropped two points that night. I'm sure Scott Brown actually scored for Aberdeen that night. They got it back to 2-2, um, but we ran out. I think it was 3 or 4-1. We won at Easter Road. Brilliant result for us. Um, and, you know, the rest is history. But you're absolutely bang on, mate. Always a tough place to go, but Hibs are not in any any great shakes that, that they're now either. Um, they'll obviously be buoyed on by the fact that we're not playing our absolute best now, but hopefully we can just remember who we are and get back to the, not just winning ways, but that kind of, that swagger that we that were notorious for as well in, in recent years and just when we're in the mood, we can we can really do some serious damage to teams. And this team, this current group of players, although they might not be showing it too much this season, they've still got that in them as well. Um, we've seen it against the likes of Hibs at Celtic Park um, a few weeks back. Seen it against the likes of Aberdeen as well at home, and obviously the two Derby wins. Um, if uh, you know, we just need to get through this tr- tricky period, I think, and hopefully get in a big. Big result on Wednesday night will do us in good stead. Nah, I mean it's a fiction I'm looking forward because I think for me, if you can't if you can't beat this Hibs team now, then I don't know where you go. I, I think they're a really, really poor side to now Hibs and but 
love it, has made a great call. I, I, it's true. I mean, you just look at we were eight points clear. We've actually beat Rangers twice this season, but we're sitting level. Well, I say def by default level on points if they win their, their game in hand. We seem to drop points against the teams that are only playing good. So I hope that's not a jinx. And obviously Jed comes in as well saying it's simple. We must win on Wednesday. As I think for me anyway, Anthony, it's, it, it, obviously the three points is important on Wednesday. A performance would be great to to sort of couple that with, but I think just just need to get the three points on Wednesday. Yeah, uh, at this point in the season, as the title race is on, we've, we've squandered the eight-point gap. We're, we're at the point where they're going to play tomorrow night, and I think it's so long as they win by three goals, they'll go top of the league, and we play after them. Okay, they still technically have that game from the postponement against Ross yeah. County in a week's time again, and that mm -hmm. evens it all back up fairly in that sense, but this puts the pressure on us quite quickly now, and at this stage, all that really matters is get the three points, get the win in the bag, and just get on with it. But see, to be honest, I I can't go the rest of the season, every game, just doing that kind of mental. Oh, be horrible. Just win it. Just give us the three points. Just don't care how how you do it. As a squad of players, as a team, we need to start getting into the the winning way, the swagger, as as Tony says. We need to get this kind of Celtic football back on the go again and maybe I'm just being a wee bit too naive and a bit too optimistic about it but if you come up against a Hibs team that aren't playing good in the last kind of month and a half they, they've no won many games they've no got many points actually in the, in the last few games it is an away game it is tricky for us I didn't realise Brendan Rodgers hadn't actually won there um, but we do need to get to a point where we can scalp a team four or five goals and get the kind of get that exciting football back because once it comes back and the players are all on the same page again, I think the team will get a wee bit of a jolt from it and they'll be able to go into the next game and start to get this momentum swinging back in our way. Because go back to what we're seeing about about Clement coming in and the fact that he's got that first cup under his belt sort of thing, albeit we were out the tournament before he came in. They've got that swagger. They're, they're still crap. They're still struggling against even Livingston, who are basically lying down to them most games anyway. But they've got a bit of momentum there. We've they've got the favour going in their way. We all can talk and discuss the uh, the effects of referees and VAR goes their way as well. That's another conversation. But even aside from that, they've got the the belief in themselves. They've got this momentum going, whereas we've got the negativity. We've got the downers. We're not playing good football. We're not exciting to watch. We're not entertaining ourselves. The players aren't on the same page. We need to get everything rolling back in the right direction. And then if we do that, maybe we can go on the rest of the season and actually feel a bit more easy because as it stands, we're looking at this game tomorrow, Wednesday night, sorry. I don't think anybody's really confident, are we? Um, the football's not great at this point, so I don't want to keep doing this. I don't want to keep coming into every game and thinking, <laughs> Just give me the three points. I want to go into the game and be excited about football again. Uh, see, I'm, I'm like you say, Anthony. It's, I mean, four twenty somewhere said the same as you. Just a wee statement. One would be would be good, and it it, it would be. But so, well, can you? We'll move on to that, Tony. We'll we'll come to you. Uh, we are your predicted lineup and your your score on Wednesday night. Uh, so I think we'll, Joe Hart and goals. Um, be 
Johnston, maybe Navrockian skills centre halves. I think obviously, I think CCB could be out um, for for the wee while, and then until Taylor's back, it'll obviously be Burnaby um, at left back as well. Um, McGregor O'Reilly, and oh, who's who's another main one? Midfield three at the minute. Bernardo. Bernardo, yeah, sorry, total mind blank there, Franny, sorry. And then I'd like to see Kuhn get a start. I have to say, Kuhn on the right, Palmer on the left, we we could all go up front. Um, and then with the option, obviously, to bring um, Ida on in the in the second half as well. But um, I'd like to see Nicholas Kuhn get a start. Obviously, got his first goal on Saturday, which was which was brilliant, albeit via deflection. But I'd like to see him start. And uh, I'm going to go out there. I'd like to a, a nice statement, hassle-free, 2-0 Celtic Franny. I would I would take that, Anthony. I mean, I've went with a very similar team. Hart, Johnson, Narofka, Scales, reluctantly putting Bernabé in, just simply because he's left back. It's one of the ones up. I, I didn't want him in the team, but I want him in the team in the same sense because he's a left back at the end of the day. And I didn't, I'm reluctant to push Scales out there. I know Ross obviously made a made a comment about maybe going to three five two. I wouldn't be against that because it, it also gets burned about the team and we are no shoehorning guys in. So if we play three five two, I'll, I'll be more than happy with that. But I'm sticking with the. I say the tried and trusted because it's not quite trusted tonight, but it's it's the tried anyway. Um, and same midfield three yourself, Calmac, Bernardo, and O'Reilly. Um, I'm putting Kuhn on the left. I've obviously went Kyogo through the middle. I feel like I'm going proper Steven here. But I'm going Rocco Vata to start in the right. Because he came on and Ross was saying, it beat his man. Rocco Vata's not starting. But I just, <laughs> that's where I would start. That's, that would be my team. And I think I'm be, I think Celtic will win 3 0. And that's kind of based off how poor, how poor Hibs are now. But. I'm thankful I'm on Friday, so I'll not be getting called out for it. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. What about yourself, Anthony? What's your starting 11 and, and predicted score? So I start with Bain, Ralston, Welsh, Lagby, Elker. <laughs> um, uh, much the same. I think the big question is going to be a left back. Um, as much as a soft spot I want to have for Burnaby, I think the safer option is maybe to put Ralston at left back, Johnson at right back, and have. Burnaby on the bench, he can come on if anything goes awry. But I don't think Rogers will do that. I think that will completely knock whatever little confidence that Burnaby's got. And I don't think Rogers is that kind of guy. I think he's more likely to persist with Burnaby and see if he just comes on to a game. So I think it'll be a, a scales and a rocky in the middle with Johnson and Burnaby on the fullbacks. Midfield three speaks for itself. Bernardo, McGregor, O'Reilly. Um I wouldn't be surprised to see Kuhn on the left and Abado on the right, to be honest. Um, I think I think Rogers definitely has a soft spot for Abado, as do I. And he's again, he needs a couple of games here. He needs a run of games to get his momentum going and get his confidence back up. And I think he might persist with Abado on the right to start with. And I do agree with you, especially you, Tony. I think Kuhn deserves to get a wee start now. Uh, Palmer's not been great. But he can come off the bench if need be, and we can flip Kuhn in a bad around, bring Palmer on and stuff. So there's, there's movement there, but I would start with Kuhn on the left and a bad on the right, and obviously Kyle walked up. And what's your score? What are you going for? Oh, 
two one hips. No, I'm kidding. Um, I want. I'm going to go with my. I'm not going to go with my gut. I'm going to go with my heart. I want to see a four one or four 0 Let's go four 0 It's it's wins all round. So that's that. Does that not count for three points? That should. That's just got the three points. Surely, surely. Sure, sure. In our heads. Either, either. Anyway, that kind of that kind of wraps up. But just kind of before before we go on that, we've had pretty much seventy live. I don't normally do this, like mm. watching along. But if you like what you are watching stuff, just do that whole like and subscribe. Carry on. Hit the wee bell and we'll get a notification when we're on. We're only trying to grow the channel. We're clearly not in it for the money because well, I'm in a travelers, mate. I'm in a, I'm in a travel lodge in Preston right now, so we're no we're clearly not doing this for the money. But uh, we we just want to try and grow the channel. We enjoy it, and it's it's just one of them. But we'll be back on Wednesday. It won't be the double pivot show. We've got to do a reaction to the to the Hibs game. So I think it's Jed and Stephen that's on. I mean, if anybody else is available, I'm sure they'll be able to jump on. Hopefully, hopefully they're reacting to a victory. Fingers crossed, but anyway, we'll, we'll love you and leave you. I think Stephen's statement is keep well, stay safe, hail, hail. Totally, isn't it? That's so, well, yeah. <laughs>